If you've been told to pull up your socks, then make sure it's a pair of TNT socks. The TNT shop is now open at tntradio.live. Live from London, you're with Sonia Poulton on today's News Talk TNT. We are indeed live and kicking from London. This is the Sonia Poulton Show on today's News Talk TNT. It is Tuesday. How are you? I hope that this day treats you with great kindness because you deserve it. And uh, thank you as always for all your messages on here, on X, obviously in the live chat, on Instagram, to our email. And uh, just to say hello, good morning, John. I hope you're well. John sent me an email saying someone on Twitter asked a truther, a Q toother day along the lines of what woke you and specifically when. So the question was what woke you and specifically when. I replied saying when they called it and all of a sudden there were stickers, screens, traffic lights at Tesco Hotel. And I thought this is not possible. It takes an age to get that quantity of stuff designed, approved and ordered to be delivered by X. So there must have been ordinary folk who were involved in production of this stuff way before it was called. He's talking about COVID, of course. Yet I haven't seen anything on social media from any individual who was involved. Have you? A question worth pursuing, maybe. Well, there are always enablers, John. That is that is the reality of it, isn't it? Because where did all these masks suddenly materialize from, for example? But you're absolutely right. It was called and then suddenly it was everywhere. So yes, I think it's always a good question, isn't it? Because I, I think that, that that it is fair to say that the people who enable these things are as culpable as anybody else, frankly. And uh, I, I wanted to show you a clip that's not possible this morning, so I'm going to talk you through it. But I, I happened upon a protest, a picket line in southwest London. And you know that expression, you can wait ages for a bus and then three arrive at once. Well, the chances are it's because there was a lack of bus supervisors and the picket line I happened upon was a picket line of bus supervisors and their job is absolutely integral. Their job is to supervise the drivers. So if there are if there's danger ahead, if there's a blockage, if there's um, problems on the bus, these supervisors are in charge of ensuring the safety of the bus drivers and passengers. Well, they're striking for better pay. The company directors of the bus garages have been given a substantial 33% pay increase, while the supervisors have been offered 4%. And it's really shockingly, the supervisors are having to do 16 hour days now to make up the shortfall. They've been negotiating since January 2023. Nothing's come to fruition. And for context, this is Sadiq Khan's London. Sadiq Khan is the mayor of London. He's also the chair of the C40 cities. Mr. Sadiq Khan is Mr. Net Zero, Mr. Green. And these striking workers told me that they cannot afford to keep up with Mr. Khan's green initiatives. They've had to replace their vehicles to get to work because they are not ULES compliant, ULES being ultra low emission zone. For some people, literally driving out of their drive in the morning or driving away from their home and crossing the city can cost them £24 a day. That's how brilliant Sadiq Khan's green initiatives are for filling up his coffers. And these workers were talking about how dangerous it is, how there's not enough 
um, skilled people, to be bus supervisors. And of course, as we know, the whole Green Initiative is a total scam, right? And, uh, and it's a scam because, you know, you, Les, first of all, if you can afford to pay the £12, which is for if you're part of the ULES zone, which is now extended or to the outer boundaries of Greater London as well. So that's my part of London as well. And then if you want to go into central London, that's another £12. So, but if you can afford to pay it, then suddenly somehow it's fine. It fits in with the green initiative. This has never, ever been about emissions. This has always been about taxing people, about creating the continuation of the um, the, the 15 minute zones. And as I said to Gemma last week, we have we had a consultation um, with my local council and they weren't happy with the results. So they did a reconsultation because they are so absolutely determined to get what they want. And these workers were absolutely struggling to get by and uh, working unconscionably long shifts 16 hours a day is outrageous completely wrong so solidarity to all people striking and the thing is Sadiq Khan keeps telling us get on a bus he's a bus driver son they made a big deal about that but he keeps telling us get on a bus get on a bus yeah but now we we learn that you're not paying the people who are there to do the job for the bus drivers and the bus companies you're not paying them the correct amount and they are working unconscionably and dangerous long hours Sadiq Khan is absolutely bad for uh, for London and England's capital city no doubt about it and there were rows upon rows of buses that have not left the garage because there's no supervisors to supervise the drivers. What an absolute mess. This is all about putting the foot on the, the neck of the worker. No doubt about it. We've reached that part of the show, of course, where Gemma Cooper will be joining me. I will be back with her shortly. Bringing you a worldview. I like to hear what's going on around the world. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT. And of course, here joined by Gemma Cooper. Good morning to you, Gemma. Hi, Sonia. Yeah, that's just another example, isn't it, of the them and us divide that's increasing, not just in the UK, but globally, you know, the the, the ones at the top and then increasingly the more and more people at the bottom um, facing, you know, cost of living, not just here, you know, Australia's got terrible cost of living, no one can get on the housing ladder. It's just, just lockstep everywhere. But uh, at least they're out in force on the street. I would be interested to know, actually, you know, in the UK, when you've got picket lines, you've got protests, and usually you get the kind of honk of horns as people drive by in their cars. Oh, yes getting much support from the public so much it was fantastic to be, i was out there with them probably for about 15 minutes talking and there were so many honky horns going past and it was absolutely wonderful but you're absolutely right this is not just about them this is echoed everywhere which is why it's a relevant story this is a global story of course and we will later have a guest who will be talking about the global farmer protest which is all about the same thing isn't it Gemma it is literally all linked up people are finally finally coming together and it's wonderful to see it it is. And it's it's what you were alluding to at the top of the show there about the, the person on Twitter. I think you said his name was John and he was saying, you know, what woke you up and when? Um, I think a lot of the farmers are having their moments now. I think a lot of those people, the bus supervisors who are on that picket line, maybe four years ago were like, don't be silly. You know, there's not some kind of global control mechanism designed to keep people like us down. Now they're thinking, hmm, maybe there is. Maybe Sadiq Khan's initiatives are waking a lot of people up who maybe thought we were crazy four years ago and now probably tuning in 
to TNT thinking, no, there's something not right with the world and I feel it, I see it, um, and I'm going out onto the streets to protest against it. Um, and I think that, that it's just sweeping the world, isn't it? Look at the farmers, look at the bus supervisors. It's it's great to see. You know, you would have thought four years ago it was just, you know, freedom rallies around the world or, uh, tr- um, you know, the trucker convoys and everyone was regarded with the far right suspicion. Now it's in every area and every walk of life, every industry, every profession. Uh, people are coming out and going, no, I won't be treated like this anymore, which I think is, it is absolutely wonderful. And But the fight is on. The fight is on. There's no doubt about that. Oh, it absolutely is. I'd just like to add there, by the way, that some more information came my way, and that is Sadiq Khan has invested £150 million VAR money in secret technology that is will eventually charge drivers in London to pay per mile, Gemma. This is about squeezing us so we can't even leave our area. Shocking stuff. Unless you've got money, then right. it's fine. Right. Then then there's no problem. It, emissions don't matter then if you've got money, right? So it, it makes absolute no sense. This is literally about sque- squeezing us, the little man, the little woman. But we are far from little. We are a voice. And Gemma is a fantastic voice. What are you talking to us about today, Gemma? Well, this story again illustrates the, this huge difference and uh, between between the, those in power and those in, in control, um, and those of us at the bottom. Because obviously, the headlines in the UK are dominated at the moment by the fact that King Charles has cancer and he's at an undisclosed London hospital, and he will be getting obviously the best treatment that money can buy. But of course, mm-hmm. the problem is it's our money. Um, and, you know, the royal family is still ostensibly funded by the taxpayer. They, you know, they get tens of millions from the sovereign grant and from the crown estate, which is all funded by us. And then they use a lot of that money to go in and buy property and, and make the money work for them. Now, OK, right. But let's put that to one side. Yesterday in the UK, the police were called to monitor a huge queue of desperate people who hadn't been able to get to the dentist for nearly a year because their last remaining dentist closed down. A new NHS dentist opened up in part of Bristol, big city here in the UK, and the queues went round the block. People were desperate. You had people in their 80s. You had disabled people. You had vulnerable people. You had one lady with cancer who hasn't seen a dentist for for years uh, wanting to get in. The police had to be called. The police had to be called to a queue for an NHS dentist, which means you get the treatment for free on the NHS funded by the taxpayer. Um, They were telling people, look, you're not going to get in. There were no unruly scenes. There were a lot of very sad and desperate and and vulnerable faces in that queue. But then the the footage of that, it's gone everywhere today. The footage of those people crestfallen, downtrodden, queuing around the block to have their mouths examined, to have basic healthcare, and it is basic healthcare, because we just don't have any more dentists on the NHS. Now, this is a problem that's affected the whole UK for years now, years people haven't been able to get into an NHS dentist. And the latest figures are that nearly nearly 100%, now it's 83% of NHS dentists in the UK are not accepting any new adult patients because they don't have the funding or the capacity to do it. The, the British Dental Association has commented on the scenes yesterday. Um, they happened after we'd come off air. It was lunchtime that the police were called. And they said that urgent reform is needed and necessary to, to, to access treatment. Um, you know, Prince Charles, King Charles has cancer, right? One of the things a dentist does, one of the first things a dentist does when they look in your mouth is check for mouth cancer, any unexplained lumps or bumps or lesions. It's one of the first things they will do. They have a good look around and they might think, oh, that doesn't look too good. I think I'm going to refer you for tests. That is not happening. Now, tens of millions going to the royal family paying for treatment. I'm not begrudging a man with cancer treatment. I'm saying, can we have some of that money for these poor people queuing around the block just to have their mouths examined? 
in Britain, in a first world country, in our NHS, which we pay for. We pay for the royals, we pay for the NHS. Can we just have equal treatment on both sides, please? I mean, it reminds me of Charles Dickens. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times because the sort of parallels between people queuing around the block just to get their mouth checked and uh, Charles being given, of course, the absolute best treatment possible. You know what true leadership is, Gemma, is if he suddenly announced, I have more money than I could possibly want or desire. I am going to take this out of my personal funds and I'm going to cover all my treatments because I am absolutely aware that the National Health Service is on its knees and that includes all dentists. And the, if the thing is, Gemma, it's also interesting, they've been very careful about the wording to do with Charles. I don't know if you noticed, they described it as a schedule of regular regular treatments. What is that exactly? Because I highly doubt that Charles will be having chemo or radiation because he's famous for promoting a natural lifestyle. And I would be really surprised if he had those sort of mainstream treatments, which anybody who's done even a cursory amount of research will tell you is highly problematic. So yeah, it, it is really concerning. The other thing is, Gemma, by the way, I did a, an article for the Daily Mail about four years ago. And what we discussed Discovered was that more than half of the dentists that were coming in from the EU are not subject to the same checks um, and balances that British dentists are. So even some of those dentists that are available to people are actually subpar. They're not able to deliver the same level of service. So what's been going on in dentistry for a long time, as you said, is really scandalous, truly scandalous. No wonder they laugh at the Brits and their teeth, right? They still do that, I think. That's still famous around the world, isn't it? And this is why our treatment is scandalous. It is scandalous. And actually, I have, I have, think I've read somewhere about Prince Charles. He is actually going to undergo chemotherapy. Somebody mentioned is that he? to me last night. Now, I could be wrong on that. I have to go and double check that myself. I haven't got as particularly engaged with the King has cancer story as I have with the hundreds and hundreds of people queuing around the block for a basic tooth examination. That that really does upset me. Um, but it, apparently last night, as somebody mentioned to me, oh, he's going to have chemo. And I thought myself, Wow, for somebody that promotes the, the holistic lifestyle, for someone who's very into homeopathy, all it made me think is this is quite serious uh, and I wonder how long he's got left. That's my gut instinct on that one. Um, who knows? That's just a complete it's, it's a speculation on my part. It's got no, no factual basis. Um, but yeah, the, 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 the scandal is if you cast your mind back, what well, was four years now, March 2020, when the world went insane, you know, the NHS was to be protected. The NHS was this saintly institution. It just shows the mockery of what they were saying to us. Not only they didn't believe any of it, it wasn't just to stay at home, protect the NHS, save lives. Didn't believe any of it. They went to parties and now look. Look, you know, the acts are the facts, as I said to Dean Mackin at the top of the last hour. Look at what politicians do, not what they say. Protect the NHS. We'll give it some money then. The acts are the facts. You know, it was all a lie, the whole thing. But they're seeing these poor people yesterday queuing around the block. It reminded me, you're quite right, Victorian England, you know, you've got the poor and then you've got the not poor. Uh, just the gap is widening as we speak. You know, the bus driver, the bus supervisor story illustrates that too. Um, but this story has gone everywhere today. I'm sure you may have seen the images yourself. Shocking for Britain, a first world country. 
it, it truly is shocking. You're absolutely right, Gemma. It's, you know, the thing is, I do believe that we are here for a specific time and to be doing this job. But it's just, I feel like in many respects, we've gone back 150 years because the haves and the have nots, the divide between us is so huge. And you're absolutely right. Like over the last four years, the transference of wealth has been so great, hasn't it? From small individuals, independent businesses to these, you know, massive conglomerates like Amazon, the disparity that is taking place is so significant that, uh, you know, it, it is almost an honour to be able to report on it because we have to, because mainstream media, absolutely, what you just said there, your priorities are absolutely right, Gemma. Your priorities are all of these people who can't afford to have a dentist queuing around the block rather than a king who can afford the best treatment. Those are the priorities that a legacy media should have. And then it might stand some chance of regaining some trust, although I, I suspect that that's, that's long bolted. Gemma, thank you so much for this morning. I will see you tomorrow, everybody. Gemma Cooper, see you shortly. TNT's Pella Neuroth Taylor. We we need to look, do a lot of deconstruction of these phrases and, and really think about what it means because what does far right mean? I, I'd say that far right means anything that you don't like. And um, it's just a label, a bit like the, the Chinese under Mao, their state press used to call uh, anyone who was an ideological opponent, capitalist pig dogs, whatever. And it was just meant to evoke a response and it was a signal from the rulers to the rule that this is what you should think without actually having to think. It's 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 a, meant to evoke a sort of Pavlovian reaction that you're a, these are bad guys. And uh, a moderate, in, in, in our lingo, I mean, let's see, it's foreign coverage. The BBC will say the moderate blah, blah, blah party in the third world Meaning, well, they're guys we approve of, and then the extremist is someone we don't approve of. Helen Neuroth-Taylor on today's News Talk TNT. In a democracy, the majority vote rules. But in most democracies, you can only vote for change every three or four years. To understand what people want, governments and political parties use focus groups. These focus groups can include as little as 20 people. Australia is a country of over 25 million people. Does making decisions based on 20 people sound fair to you? Have your say. Be heard in between elections. Download the 4MySay app now. That is number 4MySay. If you're talking about it, we're talking about it. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Thank you and welcome back. This is, of course, the Sonia Poulton Show on today's News Talk. And I'm just having a conversation with Sally Beck, who is a rogue legacy media journalist. I love that description. Absolutely love it. Sally, welcome to Tuesday's Sonia Poulton Show. Lovely to have you with us. Thank you. Good morning, Sonia. Good morning. You are also a vaccine injury whistleblower. And uh, I love the fact that you say I'm owning Google's description of me. That is just so fabulous. That is such a triumphant up yours to the big tech. Wonderful. They forgot best-selling author. Well, we haven't. Sally is indeed a best-selling <laughs> author. She writes for many magazines. And uh, Sally is a journalist with a conscience, which is Wonderful to hear. Whoever would have thought that would be a thing. But it is. Sally, you're here, of course, to talk to me about the worldwide farmers' protests that are taking place. And each day there seems to be a new country which is added to it. So uh, I reckon this morning we're talking uh, Ireland, France, Spain, UK is just starting up, Poland, Germany, I believe India as well. And uh, so tell me, what are your thoughts about what's taking place, about these people all rallying together and converging on their cities? There's nothing more important than the production of our food. 
And what we're seeing is unreasonable restrictions and farmers being told that they are the ones responsible for global warming because of their farming practices. But uh, as a farmer said to me yesterday, he said, when I'm on the top of the hill feeding the sheep and I look up into the sky that's crisscross with chemtrails, how can what I'm doing be creating more carbon than what's going up on above us? And, you know, of course, major industrialists are not even mentioned when it comes to to global warming. Is it um, Patrick Moore, the founder of Greenpeace, who pointed out that 0.04% of the Earth's carbon is uh, the Earth is carbon, and three percent of that zero point zero four percent comes from human contributions. Right. So the numbers are way off, and the farmers are being blamed. Yes, and it's ridiculous, isn't it? But this is about so much more than just food production, of course. But but we all know that if you control the sort of means of production, you control the people, certainly when it comes to food. We know this. But this is, as I say, about so much more. It's about taking over the lands. It's about the control of the food supply. It's about forcing us into highly processed lab-reared foods, isn't it? And uh, yeah. so I, and I think this is really, this is a fight against globalism, isn't it? This is like a fight. This is the original fight against the World Economic Forum in many respects. Well, that's a far right thing to say, Sonia, according to George <gasps> Monbiot. <laughs> oh, so George Monbiot, for those who don't know, he's a Guardian journalist, very much into yeah. net zero and all of the initiatives, of course. So he, he's saying that these things are far right, right? Oh, so actually what he, I, I, I wanted to look at his exact quote. So yes. he was talking to Andrew Marr on LBC and he said, what we're seeing at the moment is extremely dangerous and he's describing, he's he's alluding to the fact that there are Mussolini and Hitler-like figures who are whipping up the farmers. He doesn't say who those uh, Mussolini and Hitler-like figures are, but his exact quote was, um, Mussolini and Hitler won their first mass following and provided the first mass and were provided with their first mass constituency from the farmers. Uh, what we're seeing is a reiteration of many of those dangerous themes, similar stories to those we were being told in the 1920s and 1930s. Uh, but instead of um, as so we're now blaming globalists and immigrants. Well, what has that got to do with farmers? It's got nothing to do with farmers. Farmers are just being squeezed in ways that we can't even imagine. And as one farmer said to me, he said, you might need a dentist once every six months, a doctor once a year, but you need farmers three times a day. Right. So, Good, good you know, point. Yeah. And the thing is, somebody like a George Monbiot, they make this all sound like very airy-fairy ideas. And just to be clear here, yet there are absolutely far-right supporters of the farmers, but this is not a far-right protest. This is across 
all parties, across all political persuasions, if you believe that at all. But as one example, Sally, I mean, these, these are it's very practical reasons that these farmers are protesting. So in Germany, as one example, they're, they're protesting about the fact that government are planning to roll back tax breaks on equipment. They're... Um, that, that 30,000 farmers descended in Berlin. And these new green initiatives are likely to cost each farmer up to 5,000 euros per year, which is not an insubstantial amount. They want these farmers to have electric tractors, right, that, that are double that of a diesel tractor. And here's the thing, Sally, is some of these tractors cannot even make it from one end of the field to another because the electricity runs out. Right. I so mean, these farmers are ridiculous. This is this is this is like some sort of Monty Python sketch that we're watching here, really, isn't it? It's kind of worse than that, because at least you knew Monty Python was deliberate satire. But um, I also the farmers in Germany, their face, they have uh, a subsidy on their red diesel that fuels tractors because uh, tax on red diesel goes towards the road tax in Germany and farmers don't take their tractors on the road. So they don't have to pay that tax. But now Germany has found themselves with a hole in the budget. They want to fill it by taxing the farmers. I mean, the, the thinking um, towards people who are doing their best to support the world you know, we're, we're suddenly being seen as entities who can just be pushed into any corner. You know, we can be made to do uh, what they want, whether it's reasonable or unreasonable. And what's happening in farmers seems to be completely unreasonable. And I recently started researching. So the UK government has an ex exit scheme. They introduced, it was introduced by Boris Johnson in 2022. And it was an exit scheme for farmers who wanted to leave the land. Now, the average age of farmer is 55. The government wants to encourage young farmers who've been indoctrinated with um, net zero policy to come in and take over the land so that the old farmers aren't there to slow up the process. So they put together this package um, whereby a farmer will receive 100,000 if they give up their tenancy um, for good. Let me but, just hold you there one second, Sally. Sorry. Let's quickly go to the news headlines. We will come back with that. This is Sally Beck. She's a journalist and she's here to discuss with me about all of these amazing protests all around the world. And she's just talking about an exit situation in the UK, which is fascinating. But we will be back shortly after the news headlines. Welcome, welcome. Coming up, important news. TNT Radio News. And that's the truth. <laughs> Matt Boyland here with your TNT headlines. Donald Trump has slammed the so-called border bill released by the US Senate, calling it the dumbest bill he's ever seen. Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky has confirmed he's considering replacing the commander of Ukraine's armed forces, conceding a reset is needed following Kyiv's failed counter-offensive. And Tucker Carlson has ignited a media frenzy after he turned up in Russia, fueling speculation he could be there to interview President Vladimir Putin. 
globalist agendas, democratic rights at risk, corruption, propaganda. It never stops. For the news and views silenced by the mainstream media, by government and corporations, vote one. TNT Radio. Free speech always has a home here. Stay up to date with the latest live news and current affairs delivered by our lineup of expert commentators and hosts. Listen to TNT Radio anywhere you go. Ask Alexa or Google to play TNT Radio or download the TNT Radio app for free from the App Store or Google Play. Today's news talk. This is TNT Radio. They're absolutely right, of course. Propaganda never stops, which is why neither can we. I'm just here talking to the journalist, Sally Beck. Absolutely fascinating what you were saying there, Sally. Are you saying that there's some sort of inducement for these more younger, woke farmers than the older ones who are basically being pushed out of the field? Well, there's inducement for both. So the, the older farmers are being paid to leave and the younger farmers are being paid to join. But, you know, most farmers... For most farmers, farming's in their blood. You know, when they stop farming, what, what what do they do? They've done it 365 days a year for their entire lives. So you would think, oh, well, you know, who who's going to queue up to get a payment of 100,000? Well, it's over 2,000 farmers, Sonia, who are going to leave the profession. That's in wow. just England because wow. this is a – a scheme that is only for English farmers. So it's over 2,000. So that's the number from DEFRA. I mean, it is quite shocking, isn't it? And the people that who I grew up really supporting, like, you know, Greenpeace and all of that, turn out to be the bad guys, Sally. They turn out not to be on the same side of the fight as I do, which is really quite disturbing. The other thing is, I don't know if you saw it, did you see the planting of 49 scarecrows outside the European Parliament? I thought that was no, rather fabulous. That. Yeah, that mm. represents 49% of farmers who say they, on, they are on the brink of leaving farming. And of course, and I noticed on your ex, because you're absolutely quite right, you call out the madness. But a lot of this, they hinge around the green policies, don't they? They say the idea is to cut uh, nitrate emissions by killing the cows. How does that work exactly, Sally? I don't know, but I know that, um, you know, they've got a problem with um, nitrogen fertilisers, but they would have been produced by someone making a stack of money to, to explain to farmers, you know, you can double your yields with this. And now we've got to that situation where the yields are doubled. They want farmers to stop using the nitrogen fertilisers. But what are they going to use instead to, to keep the same yields? There isn't anything at the moment. And organic farming is fabulous, but we saw um, when Sri Lanka tried to make the whole country organic, their, their food production collapsed. So it has to be, you know, whatever happens to change what's going on in farming has to be phased. It can't just be a kind of a cold turkey situation and there has to be reasonable alternatives. But what's really concerning, and I don't know if you saw this on my ex, um, there was a report last week that people, um, companies are queuing up to get into the lab-grown meat business. And our friend, Bill Gates, I found a quote from him, who is one of the biggest farm landowners in the US, but he's not actually farming. So that's a huge red flag, I would have thought. But his he says, I'll make more money from lab-grown food 
than all my other investments. So I think we we see what this is all about. You know, we've seen a, a handful of people working out how to transfer the wealth from the poor to the rich. And that's who George Monbiot should be focused on. Interesting, because obviously these so-called ruling classes, they're completely disconnected from the realities of of the cost of living, of what people are going through on an everyday basis. I think a lot of this, which is why we had the Netherlands uh, farmers before, a lot of this comes as a consequence of a Dutch ruling in 2019 that government was not doing enough to reduce nitrogen emissions. And you know how these people, they take a ruling, no matter how tenuous it may or may not be, and they run with it to try and prove their point. And that is what is happening. But it, I think what we're seeing, though, Sally, is we're seeing people like you and I who are saying no more. We've all had enough. And I think I've never seen such a mass show of solidarity spreading around the world mm. as we're seeing now. So there's there's also a protest, I think, in, in New Delhi. Is that correct? Yeah, so I heard. So and obviously France, you know, the French farmers are legendary for protesting. Yes. But <laughs> we, I, I, I There's two things. We haven't seen protests like this globally before, but we also haven't seen such a media blackout before. Or maybe (gasps) there was a media blackout and we never saw the protests before. Who knows? But, you know, know, thanks to the evil social media, we can see these things. So I am so thankful for that. But there are farmers like um, Welsh farmer Gareth Wynne-Jones I think he has 2 million followers on YouTube um, and he managed to monetize his YouTube, but he gets sanctioned all the time if he posts about the protest. So he gets demonetized, you know, so they're trying to prevent us from earning money at, at every stage. And your previous conversation, I just caught the end of it. And I started talking about, wealth transference in 2009 and the BBC God love them uh, they screened a documentary called Poor Kids and it was looking at poverty through the eyes of a child and it was so shocking the BBC received so many calls it actually crashed their switchboard because people could see what it looks like if you're a child and you open the fridge and all there is in the fridge is half a litre of milk and a packet of antibiotics. And that's, and you didn't know where the next lot of food was coming from. This is what, and we're not hearing about this in the paper. We didn't hear about it during lockdown. What was it like for people living in a council high rise with three kids in two rooms? We never heard what, we never heard what it was like for those people who were allowed out for one hour a day. And maybe one of those kids has got ADHD. We didn't hear yeah. about any of them. We didn't. Good good point. It's it's the forgotten voices, forgotten again. And that's a very interesting mm. point you, you make about mainstream media is the blackout and whether actually has it always been a blackout and we're just now realising it because of social media. But Sally, people like you and I are being made out to be the enemies of the people. Mm. But what's fantastic is that people have woken up 
I think, exponentially to what's going on. The support in France, Germany, Holland and the UK. I understand there's a farmers protest starting up in the UK. It is across all people because people realise that we've just been lied to about these people. In France, the farmers union have finally got involved. They've been obviously the farmers there have been blockading motorways. And um, and, and again, they're, they're fighting against the increase in production costs, which are untenable for these people. And and that is the reality. They're literally trying to price these people out of a job, aren't they? Or bribe them out of their job by paying them to leave the job. Yes, exactly. And what's really interesting is that uh, there's a new ex account called No No Farmers, No Food. Um, it's about a week old and it's got over 40,000 followers. And if I retweet anything from there, I get probably about 400 likes. If I'm talking about vaccine injury, you know, I'm heavily shadow banned on that. So it seems that mm. there is um, a social media appetite, as well, certainly from X to support what's going on and to allow those posts that show the protests. Um, and to, you know, what we're doing, Sonia, and what legacy media had always done and should always have done is to give people a voice those people who are unheard to give people a voice and they are no less valid voices than the likes of George Monbiot or Rishi Sunak you know these are the people people whose lives are being controlled and whose lives are being affected by what these people do every day and I do remember Theresa May <laughs> you know if we go back as far as Theresa May, our prime minister, who was prime minister for quite a short space of time, she said something really sensible when she came into office. And that was to remind the MPs that what they did in the House affected real people's lives. Mm -hmm. Reality, absolute reality. Absolute reality. Yeah. Skippy in the comments says Sri Lanka was 80% self-sufficient in food until the government told farmers to go organic overnight. Sally, I want to say thank you so much for joining us this morning, helping me fill in the blanks, join up, join everything up about all these people uniting around the world. Solidarity to all you farmers out there, everybody. This is Sally Beck and I will be back shortly. And this is today's News Talk TNT. De-weaponizing weather with reality and perspective. Well, the latest in the Michael Mann versus Mark Stein trial is a little bit interesting, and I'm trying to figure out if this is right. Apparently, Dr. Mann's lawyers, there are four of them, and remember, Mark Stein is defending himself by himself. Apparently, they've asked for a nominal fee as far as damages go, and there is a rumor that what was asked for, now sit down, you ready for this? was $1. Now, Mark Stein has spent around three and a half million dollars, I've heard. I don't know, maybe it's more, maybe it's less. Defending himself from Michael Mann and Michael Mann's lawsuit over the fact that Mark Stein thinks that Michael Mann hid the data and he called him a fraud, right? Now, I could see, for instance, let's say uh, the number one climatologist in the world said that to you. That's one thing. But Mark Stein is a journalist. That's the first thing. Second thing is he had to raise the money to defend himself. And we've gone over this. But $1? Why would Michael Mann only want $1? You know why? He just wants the decision. He just wants to be able to say, see, he actually did 
defame me. I won the court case. Well, I don't think Stein wants any part of that because of the fact that he wants to drill it home that what Michael Mann did, take two samples out of 22 and then hide, he did. He hit the data from people who would criticize it and actually tear it apart. Mark Stein wants that to come out. One's pursuing the truth, the other seems to be hiding it. This is TNT Climate and Weather Watchdog, meteorologist Joe Bastardi, asking you to enjoy the weather. It's the only weather you got. Hi, I'm Ryan Blaney, a third generation race car driver. And we dedicate a lot of our time to going as fast as possible. But when my grandpa was diagnosed with Alzheimer's, it was a very unexpected bump in the road for us. It's important to notice if older family members are acting differently, experiencing problems with their memory, or having trouble with routine tasks. Early detection of Alzheimer's can give your family time to explore support services, make a plan for the future, and access available treatments. If you or your family are noticing changes, it could be Alzheimer's. Talk about seeing a doctor together. This is the Sonia Poulton Show on today's News Talk TNT. Well, Sally Beck has rightly got you all going, and so say all of us. Ray Can in the comments says they are losing control of world domination in the finance sector. The only way to gain control again is through food and water control, and so say all of us. And just to say, before I introduce our next guest, last December, Julian Assange's two-day public hearing was announced for February 20 and 21 at the UK High Court. This is to determine whether Julian will have permission to appeal or whether he will be extradited to the United States and absolutely delighted to say TNT will be at the Royal Courts of Justice broadcasting and covering the entire two days if required and then TNT will broadcast from various locations throughout London. We are indeed lighting the fuse for freedom. Today's news talk TNT. And on that note, I am absolutely delighted to be welcoming Dr. Peter Spencer here. He is a former chartered health psychologist and author. Uh, you've also, Peter, been a senior lecturer in uh, the, at the Department of Psychology, University of Leeds. And you contacted me because you had somewhat interestingly, about 20 years ago, written an article in Psychologist magazine, which over the last few years has actually, it's come to bear. It's literally like you had a crystal ball, Peter, and you were able to see what was taking place. Everybody, this is Dr. Peter Spencer. Welcome to the Sonia Poulton Show, Peter. Thank you, Sonia. Well, I don't have a crystal ball, but I do have a lot of many years of experience of listening to frightened, anxious patients about all kinds of things. Things that they've usually, as you know yourself, picked up, learned from the media and become very worried and anxious about. And um, so really it's just something that has been developing and it's not just behaviors that are controlled and manipulated and learned but also emotions recently in 2020 of course fear has been the primary one but we've also been taught to learn sadness you think about the death of evita in 1952 she was quite a divisive person in argentina society but after her death the media went in overdrive and people who had never met her before were actually riddled with sadness. The death, there were hundreds of people dying, flinging themselves in rivers. And even, it's even going on now. I went to Argentina in 2003, people still going to their tombs and uh, laying flowers and uh, sobbing. When it comes to behaviours, well, we can go back um, 
20, people say in 2020 was the year that people went mad. Well, it's true. Well, people mm -hmm. have been going mad as long as humankind has been going. Right. Just examples. So, Peter, just to say, just to give people some backstory here, what we're talking about is mass formation hysteria, right? The madness of crowds, people all responding to some sort of stimulus in almost identical ways. Is that a, a fair description? That's a perfect definition. Um, it's been called many things. Um, it was coined uh, mass formation psychosis in 2020. But in the past, it's been labeled hysteria, mass hysteria, mass psychogenic illness, extraordinary popular delusions. It's come under many terms. So I, I think um, Desmond's work is very good. It's very good work. But it's really kind of all wine in new, bo new bottles. This thing has been going on for many years. Just quite a few examples in the 13th century. Um, a young girl was, she thought she was bitten by a tarantula in northern Italy. And she started um, jumping about, having spasms, having convulsions. Very soon, all the population was going through that. It was called trentisis. It spread all the way through Europe, even in the 13th century. So it came to be known by St. Vitus dance, but it spread through, it spread through all the way. In the 15th century, there's something called lycanthropy. People started to believe they were human beings, but they were born in the wrong body. They believed they were born in the body of wolves. So they um, kept themselves naked. They went round in all fours. They grew their hair long. Um, and even the people who weren't convinced they were in the wrong body and a wolf, other people were still convinced that there were things like werewolves. And that's how that legend spread all the way through modern day horror movies. Of course, when it came to the 17th um, century, 15th, 17th century, the witch crazes, the witch mania spread all through Europe. It's interesting to note about witch crazes. There were definitely cases where some women were tortured to confess, but in very, very many cases, women came to believe that they themselves were witches. And even the witch finders, especially in Germany, they even came to believe, well, seeing that we know so much about uh, witchcraft, perhaps we're bewitched as well, and they actually burned themselves. It goes on. Human absolute insanity and of course what you were warning of you were talking about the witch trials in your article all those 20 years ago and talked about how one of your relatives had been picked out as a witch and brought to london and she fought against it but you talked and I, it's so interesting because you talked about the dangers of reinforcing exaggerated health anxiety and you even talk about disease x in your article 20 years ago, Peter. That feels prescient. So that in yes. itself was very interesting. So talk to us about that. This this was this has all been foretold. Well, it's not been foretold, it's been happening all the time. And these things, I think the big change that has been happening, and I must admit to that time, I just think these were random things that happened and things occurred and so on with usual forces. The strange things that happened in 2020 was that um, it became controlled. I joined the Great Barrington Declaration early on with these three great medics. And, um, and there were 85,000 of us then signed. And I thought, well, this is going to be common sense. But I mean, it's very well documented. 
it was shut down. In the past, usually there was some kind of counter-argument, some kind of op-ed, somebody else saying investigate a different way. What about this? Perhaps that, investigating it. And as you know, that just shut down. Now, that was very different. I think when I was talking about, it's the next stage, this, uh, which I predicted really 20 years ago, this, you know, disease X. The very worrying thing that's happening now is that people aren't just frightened of things that are happening now. For example, people listening to things on breakfast TV, they became a little worried about their health. And that's bad enough where they can go out and get it sorted and checked out. When people are saying something will happen to you sometime in the future, we can't tell you exactly what it's going to be, but it will be very serious. It could be a disease, it could be a war, it could be the climate. Now that puts people in a very, very difficult situation. There's almost no way out. Well, I think there is a way out. But, but people find that they're kind of locked in. They're just worried and they don't even know what they're worried about. It's a kind of free floating anxiety. And that's very concerning. And that's the kind of next stage. That, that creates so much instability, doesn't it? I mean, one of the things you said is that mass formation psychosis has also been previously known as, as you say, demonic possession, mass hysteria, um, extraordinary popular delusions. But you say that modelling is key, especially to what's taking place now, because you say the difference today, as you say, is fear is being manufactured for the future. So we are told about climate, wars, disease X. And you, as you said to me, this is new and potentially devastating turns. So they've slightly changed the psychology in order to be able to wreak more havoc. Is that what's going on? I think that's precisely it. Um, I tried not to come to that conclusion. As I say, I was quite innocent. I was never worried about COVID-19. It was just my patients had been telling me about these illnesses coming over while nothing happened. But I always thought that there would be opposing forces. And with the exception of a few great journalists like yourself, Sonia, who put their head above the yeah. parapet, there have been no opposing forces. And those that have, have been very heavily criticised. Modelling, as you say, to come back to that. In the early stages, of course, the great thing about conformity that Ash has, Ash has shown us is that people like to conform. They file informal pressures, so people do copy and people do obey authority. Um, again, the Milgram experiments. But modelling has always been used. If you think about COVID, the first kind of rather crude models we had were people falling over in China. And that was a bit kind of weird for most people. So then we had people going into hospitals where people were saying almost with the last words, they wished they'd have the injections. And then we get uh, TV presenters in the throes of the illness, modeling the illness as something very, very bad, very, very serious, something mm. to be about. No names, no background. Well, interestingly, I, I can't let that go past without mentioning, of course, that Kate Garraway, who presents a breakfast TV show, her husband, a former Labour spin doctor, has just had a very high profile funeral, apparently, um, as he died as a consequence of long COVID, although lots of people dispute that. That's the kind of thing you're talking about, right? Because she has been constantly, her story has constantly been thrust you know, front and centre for everybody. It's been a book, there's been a documentary all about basically her husband dying of long COVID. That, that's what you're talking about, that sort of thing, right? 
it's been frightening. We, we look at this behaviour of the people, and that's the kind of model, this terrible illness uh, that lasted a long time. And people assume it's, it's me next, it's going to happen to me. To introduce a kind of positive note, if you're thinking about how we can get around that, there have been great models. I mean, you've interviewed several on your chat. I saw your interview with Matt Letitia the other day. What a fantastic model. So we've got those positive right. models. We've got those positive models there. Journalists have come forward. I think the other thing as well, uh, we can use humour. Uh, you were talking about Mark Stein earlier. When Mark Stein used to talk about the WEF, he never talked about it in terms of, oh, they're dreadfully powerful people and they're going to destroy them. He laughed at them. So one thing yes. we can do is try to substitute anxiety, fear, with laughter. Mark used to compare it to a kind of bad, bad Michael Myers takeoff of uh, Spectre and used to talk about the WF as a Spectre boardroom. Very funny. When you're talking about the conscription, the war, I don't know, it's my puerile sense of humour, but the number of TikTok videos that are absolutely hilarious, people making fun of it. And um, just shows how sad I am. Something I find amusing. No, I think humour is really important. It can be very disarming, can't it? That that's the fact. And also, it can sober us up into not getting caught into their fear porn, which of course is about controlling us. But it, I think I think what's great, Peter, is and why your article chimed with me so much, especially given that it was twenty years ago. I think it's it's truly great that. People are just becoming so much more awake. I hate using that term. It's so overused. But you know what I mean? It's like even my next door neighbours who'd started out COVID with, oh, we must have the vaccine. We must have the vaccine. Well, they've moved now. But I bumped into them the other day. They're like, there's absolutely no way we're having the booster. We don't trust it. We don't trust the way. So I think that there's overkill as well, isn't there? They they can do overkill that, that will make people be put off from their message. And of course, the thing is, we also learn, we also learn, we look around us that people aren't dying with it, but people are collapsing after perhaps an injection. So the, the, the problem they've got now is they've really got to up their game. We've been told that umpteen million people died with COVID and this is going to happen. But people are just largely, as you say, everyday people. And I must say, I'm one of them who became um woken up if you like i was quite naive i was never frightened particularly of covid but i always had a kind of looks back now a kind of naive kind of belief that our politicians and our best interests at art <laughs> and um i had to really wake up from that i mean people like you had spotted that scene that early but i woke up to that and um the other thing that humor does is that when somebody's trying to frighten us or bully us when we become frightened, that reinforces their behaviour. Yes. So, so they've won. When we laugh at them, it's a kind of pushback, and it shows that they're not winning. It shows that it's not having an effect. So right. it's a pushback about against them as well. Yes. I think being, but I think. Being, 
Yeah, no, I completely agree with you. I think it's really brilliant that people are waking up to the fact that we are subject to this mass formation psychosis. And sometimes people are not moving of their own mind. They're moving as part of a movement, a school of fish, essentially. So I think it's wonderful. The work that you do, that people like you have been doing to raise our awareness is really phenomenal. And I want to thank you for joining us this morning, Peter, and giving further illumination because, you know, Knowledge is power, right? Let's be armed and protected with what they're doing with us. And they are obviously using a psychological war against us. So we need to understand the tools. And thank you to people like Dr. Peter Spencer. We are learning that. Thank you so much for joining us, Peter. Truly appreciated. Have a terrific Tuesday. That, everybody, is Dr. Peter Spencer. And I just want to say at TNT Radio, we never go home. We are committed to bringing you our take on the biggest topics of our time. We broadcast live 24-7 online globally, no matter what. We've got you covered on today's News Talk TNT. Coming up after me is the phenomenal Abby Roberts. This has been Tuesday's version of the Sonia Poulton Show on today's News Talk TNT. I will see you tomorrow. Have a fantastic day.